You know, we're 30 episodes into this thing now, and through just word of mouth, we have listeners in 10 countries, 1,600 listeners and counting, 190 cities. <laughs> wow. Most of, the, most of the states, we're up around 40 of the United States and D.C., Alaska, Hawaii. I just, I love it. We're in India and Ireland and all over, but where we really are is at the Friendship Club in Santa Fe, New Mexico. We're in a little, oh, about 75,000 to 100,000, depending on ski season, town, 7,100 feet up in the Sangre de Cristo Mountains, in a 400-plus-year-old city. A very special place. It's the only place where this exists, this little Friendship Club. I, have, I work here, and I have for years. But you, Mary, are the living expert on the Friendship Club. You you built this place up from the dirt. You had help, I know. Anything that you don't know about the Friendship Club isn't worth knowing. So let me start with this. The, the place was closed for 14 months during the bad COVID time. Right. 2020, 2021. And then it opened back up. And that's when I became involved. But what was it like in the before times? As you know, we used to be on... Um Rosina, you know, a few blocks from here. This was really a dream to own our own building. And Pursoon, who was the former executive director, um, he came to the board and said, there's this building sitting on Apache Avenue that used to be a methadone clinic. Amazing. And he said, Origi- originally a 1950s church, right? Before yes, that, yeah. yes, it was a church originally. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it, it looks like the Alamo. That's right. So, for a lot of us coming in here, being in recovery, really the last place on the block for a lot of us. Wow, that is symbolic. And I'm a Texan, so yeah, I've, I've been to the Alamo quite a few times. Yeah. And so that's really how it started. Started out as a dream. Um, Some of the board members came over and looked at it and said, oh, that's huge. We might not need that much space. Yeah, it was it was in a smaller place, not too far from here, but a different a different building. And and what was it like? Were the meetings smaller? Were were they different? What was what was the atmosphere? Well, the atmosphere was that it thanks to a lot of volunteers at our older facility and thanks to Pursoon who was the manager then, he started making a lot of changes together with the board on how things should look and making it inviting for people to come in and cleaning um, the entire place up and adding new lighting. So it became much easier to hold meetings. And to be honest with you, the meetings became so crowded. And that was the reason that um, we were looking for additional space. Sure. Yeah, I grew the old one. I grew the old one. So I went to the landlord. We were renting at that time and said, um, would you consider selling this building? Because we had half of it and he had half of it as an accounting office. And he said, no, I, I will never sell it. So that eliminated that possibility you know, of opening it up and maybe building on to the back. Okay. So as I mentioned, you know, Pursuit had heard about this building. We came and looked at it and said, ooh, that's huge. You know, 6,000 square feet. It has upstairs and 4,500 square feet downstairs. We'll never fill that building. Wow. 
So it was a mess, absolutely a mess. It looks nothing like it does now. It had functioned as a methadone clinic. Yes, yes. And when we got over here, um, needles lying all over. The weeds were as tall as the windows. It was just a mess. Bright blue carpet that was in disarray. The walls were in disarray. Floors, everything. Through the help of a lot of volunteers, a lot of prayers, the board decided, yes, let's Let's buy the building. We brought several people over to look at it to get their opinions from the recovery community. And it was decided to purchase a building, which was a miracle. I think it was you that we were talking about where you go to the bank and they say, well, how much money do you bring in every month? (laughs) Yeah, I'll tell you that story. I was it was back in Texas 20 years ago and uh, we had outgrown my my home group had outgrown its. It was time to move, to get a new lease and a new place. And somehow I was <laughs> handed the task of going into the bank to mm-hmm. talk to them about it. Right. And he was just the banker. Nice fellow, but he didn't know anything about recovery. And he said, so who goes to these meetings? And I was honest. I said, you know, whoever wants to. He said, well, is there like enrollment and membership? And I'm like, no, you can just show up if you want to. Oh, well, what does it cost? Nothing. I mean, yeah, we passed the hat and... We have donors, but there's no charge as such. That's right. that's, that's baked into the cake real hard in recovery is, is we don't charge for meetings or or for help when you come. So he said, so you don't know who's going to show up. You don't know if or how much they're going to give. How long are you in the old place? 20 years. And you always made rent. Yeah. So, all right, Sharm, if you'll sign that you'll backstop this and, and co-sign it, and if they don't make rent, you'll pay for it. I was like, you are out of your mind. Right, No right. way in hell. And I don't really remember how the rest of it went, but we got the place. Yes. I, I think looking back, he must have said, well, we'll just go on your track record. You guys paid up for 20 years every month, <laughs> right. and it's not the end of the world to let you lease a little corner in a shopping center and give you a key and turn on the lights. We'll just see how it goes. and. To my knowledge, they're still there today, many, many years later. Yeah, we, it's, it's, you know, recovery places are like that. They just have a way of uh, many hands make light work. We're anonymous, but some anonymous people are amazingly generous and get things Absolutely. Going. So I didn't mean to uh, cut you off, but yes, I've been I've been the guy going down to the bank. Well, you're not going to believe this, but we, we want a ton of money. Right. <laughs> we, you know, I, I want to be sure to get this in because... Our mission is to provide a safe place for people seeking recovery, where we can help one another in the community. And that's continued to be our mission and still is. But when the decision was made to purchase this building, because we were paying a lot in rent, we thought we may as well purchase a building. And I want to, you know, make sure that I say Friendship Club is a nonprofit organization that houses recovery meetings. Right. And um, people came forward and said, if you're considering doing this, we can supply you with financial aid. We can, um, we have interior designers, we have architects, you know, every possibility of people come to the club. And they were more than eager. The best part was we had to come in, totally revamp the place, tear down everything and start from, you know, the bottom up, 
people, I'm sure, thought, how are they going to turn that mess into something beautiful? Well, you know, we talk a lot about a higher power. The higher power was with us every step of the way. It would take far more than 30 minutes to tell you all the miracles, but I'm going to make sure I write them down. But the Friendship Club, you know, continues to provide a safe place for people seeking a better way of life. But we could not have done it without the donors, without the sponsorships, the fundraising events. And probably one of the best things that I witnessed, we were about $80,000 short of paying off the building, which we did, by the way, a week before um, COVID broke out. Yeah, early 2020, yeah. that's right. People came forward with $5, one $20, $100, and we paid off the building. We have reoccurring expenses, so I don't want anyone to get the idea, oh man, they own the building, they're really floating in high money. We're not, because we have the operating expenses, which, as all of us know, continue to go up. We've been fortunate to have two tenants upstairs, the latest being central office. Right. So thank you, Sherman, for getting that. That was that was another easy sales pitch. <laughs> I went to the old central office, which wasn't very, uh, didn't work well. It wasn't a good fit for what they were trying to get done. And I walked in and my friend Barry said, hey, Sherman, what are you doing here? I said, I'm here to talk you into renting our upstairs. And he goes, yeah, I think we'll do that. So, <laughs> we're, so, we're selling guitars or cars. Was that easy? But. Right. Well, like I say, you know, the higher powers helped us every step of the way. Oh, by the way, a plug for Barry. He uh, was our first recurring guest on the episode. He did two of our original ones. And uh, his story is a doozy. Go check out. Barry's interview. Oh, boy. I listen to all of the podcasts because I learn something, and they're entertaining, and they tell the real stories. They have a lot of humor. And, Sherman, you really do a good job of interviewing. Well, thanks. And getting yeah. people to talk about things that maybe they wouldn't normally talk about. I haven't noticed alcoholics being very reluctant to talk about themselves, but thank you for the kind words. I'll take yeah. that. It's it's one of the things that we can do best. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they can yap. Yes. Uh, and I'll tell you this, that, that uh, we're, we're sitting in a room that's, I don't know, I can touch both walls and I got short arms. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's actually a, a really happening little podcast studio, and we've had some great moments in here. And so thanks for allowing me to turn a... A closet full of uh, trash cans and things into a into a, a righteous little podcast studio. I love it. Yeah. Well, I you know it's a it's a wonderful wonderful um, addition to the Friendship Club, and it utilizes a room that used to be full of old brooms and mops, and now we have something beautiful to offer the community. So thanks. I, I launched into. I've done a lot of radio and stuff, and and so that part was you know I was, I was fearless, but. Um, it was important to me to not break any rules of the fellowship that has saved my life. Right. Saved, saved your life. Right. Uh, period. I honor that. I went online to do a little sniffing around what's what's okay and what's not okay if you're going to be publicly available talking about anonymous recovery. Right. And what I was able to find and appears to be the current state of the nation is if you don't use your last name and you don't specifically say that you're a member of a specific 12-step program, you're, you're good. Yes. There have always been 
Joe and Charlie tapes. That's a that's a wink wink right. to people who know what I'm talking about. And yep. and uh, you know I I'm a guitar player from Dallas, and I'm not the only guitar player from Dallas that ever got sober. And so there are a lot of tapes out there of um, notables, and they leave their last names out and they tell their stories. So nobody. We're not inventing anything. It's just that I think the new thing is podcast. And if you'll let me say it, when I when I asked you if I could do this, you said, how far will they be able to hear it? And, and I can tell you now, for sure, they can hear it in India and they can hear it in Montenegro, which I think you should send me to to, to find our listener there so I can shake his hand. <laughs> I'll only stay there in a hotel for you know a couple of weeks. And, and 40 of the 50 states, if you count D.C. and so on. So our reach is infinite. And now we've got, you know, tens of hours and more coming all the time that are going to be out there forever. You know, the yep. Internet is forever. And some of the stories we've had in here as recently as I'm going to highly recommend listeners, if this is your first one and um, you want to click back to our contents and find another one. Check out Pamela M. Her interview last week. Yeah, it was phenomenal. They they really all have their own yeah. story. Yes. And they're going to reach and touch different people depending on, you know, where they are, what's important to them. But I encourage them to listen to all of them because yes. you're going to learn something. And, Sherman, one more thing I want to – we just finished with a Christmas in July volunteer appreciation event. Basically what we did, the volunteers that you and Mario work with day in, day out, probably 16, 17, depending on – it's ever-changing. People come forward. People leave due to commitments and other things that they're doing. It did my heart so good to see the people come today, enjoy a delicious meal from the Ranch House, which is a local barbecue place, receive little gifts and gift cards, really have a great time, little certificates of appreciation, and that's what it's about. Because without you and Mario and the band of volunteers, you know, this place wouldn't be open. We could not operate without the volunteers. They put in hours and hours every week. So I want to be sure to mention that. Zoom meetings are great. I attend them myself. Um, uh, podcasts are great. I'm obviously a fan. Um, but there is nothing like uh getting in a car and driving down to your place and looking your uh, the thing I always liked about an in-person meeting is if I'm having a a down day I don't get asked if I'm okay I get somebody like Mario looking at me now going what's up I mean they can tell by the way I walk in sure you know how I'm doing and you can't it's hard to do that on Zoom or, or in a well, podcast you got to bro it up yeah. in person well I just am happy that we're now able to reach people in a multitude of ways yes they can come into the club. They can um, get in touch with us. They can come into one of the way over 40 meetings now. Seven days a week. Yep. They can meet with people, share their experiences, help other people. Just happy that the Friendship Club offers all those things. Well, it wasn't the Friendship Club, but I'll, I'll put it this way. My first meeting commitment was emptying ashtrays. So sure. it tells you how long, <laughs> how long I've been in the racket. Yep. Okay. Well, which brings me to this, Mary. I have always said that still waters run deep in recovery. Yes. You look around a room and you just really wouldn't be able to pick out the ones that have done hard time or the ones who come from big money in, in 
the Upper East Side of Manhattan or the ones who were living in an abandoned Winnebago last year and now have a job and an income and a, right. and a family getting started. You can't tell by looking around because we clean up pretty good. And my, my old saying is that uh, it's the zebras and horses thing. The, those of us that are recovering addicts and alcoholics, we're zebras. We kind of look like horses. <laughs> we, we can hang out with the horses right. to a certain extent and pass. We ain't horses. And we, we are cut from a different bolt of cloth, and it, it's like water in the desert for me to be with my tribe once in a while and compare notes and, and get a hug and go back out into the, into the world and, and uh, you know, do what we need to do. Well, we're the lucky ones. Yep, that's you know, right. We get to move forward, have a life. I always say that the Friendship Club is the best beauty shop. <laughs> I never Santa heard that. Fe. Okay, so here's here's my impression of you. Uh, it always has been before I knew you well, but you were a familiar acquaintance here at the club. Is you're a snappy dresser, which always cuts a lot of ice with me. I love somebody that's, that pulls it together fashion-wise. And you go to a good uh, hair person, and, and you're always dialed, and you're extremely polite and professional, and and I'm proud to have you be the face of the Friendship Club when you have to go meet with money people or anybody else. And you also, there's there's more to the story. You, you Some of the people you interact with and help are not money people. But here's what I want to ask. If I have, you've been, you've been at this 20-something years. 21. 21. So if 24 years I had been driving my car down Montgomery in uh, Albuquerque, 50 miles to the south, what Mary would I have seen? You would have seen someone that had been wearing the same dress for two weeks. I slept in it, got up in it, drank in it, vomited on it. It was hard for me to imagine there was anything wrong. You would have possibly found me walking up Central Avenue in Albuquerque because I had an apartment there because I didn't want to drive back and forth because I didn't want to have liquor in the car, and I didn't want to drive without it. So one night I ran out of liquor, so I started walking in the middle of the night, walked to a Walgreens. They said, we don't sell liquor after midnight. So I thought, I'll go to Alsip's. So I walked down there, and they go, we don't start selling liquor till 6. So I um, didn't know what to do. Somehow I made it back where I was staying, and I don't even want to tell you what I drank, but it had alcohol in it. I've learned later that that can kill you. Sure. You know. Of course. Um, but that was probably kind of where I hit my bottom. We all have a bottom. I don't want to go out and try to make mine deeper or, or further down. But it is, in my situation, a spiritual connection. Did you come into recovery under your own steam or, like me, dragged in and logging chain by the last few people talking to you? Finally, after I had tried meetings, you know, for a long time, finally I realized that I had hit the bottom spiritual, emotionally, morally, whatever. And people that will remember me, because there's a lot of them that still come that were there when I came in. Okay. And they would go, oh, you didn't smell very good. That was the last thing I was thinking about. And I always had a bottle in my purse. Oh, sure. That would go swish, swish, swish. People would say, you're still drinking. And I would look at them. 
and say, no, I'm not, even though they could hear the bottle and smell it. Denial. And one day I said a prayer of hope, and the next day I didn't drink. Okay. And I was, you know, daily drinker. Yeah. And um, so for that, I don't know how it works, why I was fortunate enough to have that gift given to me. I just hope that... But you weren't done being pissed off, right? I, you no. said your, your early meetings were... Oh, I was mad at what everybody said. I was mad at what everybody did. <laughs> I, I was. I love, don't you love that? You come into a room where everybody's got their shit together and like, these morons, these idiots. Yeah, if they knew what I... <laughs> and, you know, I came crawling in day after day after day until I wanted to be here. I admire that. I'm not kidding. I do. I was. I was absolutely dragged in with with no uh, no options. My only option I was given was to go live on the street. I would not do yeah. that. Well, so I I I, uh, I was an intervention survivor and and uh, you know a three month almost uh, a halfway house liver. Um, but but it worked. You know we're, what it takes what it takes. And I think that you I think you mentioned something about feeling done or you you'd reached your bottom, you'd had enough. I don't know why some of us survive to to make that turn and why so many of us don't, but it you know, it's a thing. Well, I um I just every day, every day I go, Thank you for the life that I have today. Well, I like being a sober drunk, and, and <laughs> I do, because we know things that the other little boys and girls don't know. Yeah, we we have a different way of life. And, and you talked about swishing in with your purse going, yes, I'm fine, I'm fine. fine. We, I'm not drinking, you know. I, I, I had a fellow come up to me at a meeting, and he said, they're going to turn off my lights if I don't give them 75 bucks. And, you know, it's murder getting them turned back on. So could you help me? And I said, eh, maybe, let's... Let's go to the grocery store where they manage that stuff, and I'll see if I can uh, take care of that or try to help you. And he goes, actually, it would be better if you just gave me the cash. I'm like, yeah, we're done talking here. Yeah. You gave it a shot. That yeah. would have worked on your Aunt Matilda back in the day. It ain't working yeah. here. You know, we the, the people in AA can spot a con pretty, oh. <laughs> pretty good. Well, we can because in my situation, I would lie about the color of the sky or... Um, I could have a bottle up to my mouth, and someone would say, "Are you drinking?" I'd say, "No." Yeah, I think about that. the 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 number of lies that I told when I was the twenty years I was high is is countless, and so it becomes like breathing. It becomes you can't distinguish the true from the false anymore, which is a hell of a thing. And then you get you get sober, and and you start playing by the rules and working for a living and paying your bills and. And, uh, you know, being good to the people in your life. And suddenly the need to tell those lies goes away. But sometimes the habit remains. <laughs> Isn't that weird? You, you, yeah. you know, somebody goes, hey, did you did you ever see uh, the English patient? Uh, yeah. And then I've had to, in the middle of a dinner party, go, hey, you guys, five minutes ago when I said I saw that movie, I, I didn't really. I lied. <laughs> had them look at each other like. This guy's a lunatic. Pa pass the potatoes. I don't know what he's talking about. Yeah. it's it's uh, It takes a while to, to get the new clothes to fit when we come well, in here. It takes a while. And it's, the thing I love about it is, you know, it's like the club itself. It's ever-changing. Boy, that's right. It's always new. You wake up and you don't know what today's going to bring. People have ideas that we've implemented that 
are way beyond dreams that, you know, we could have. I say we're just the bright star in the middle of the capital city of New Mexico. Well, I'm I, I, uh, I'm the daily, I, I say I run the complaints department at the Friendship Club. Right. And I do get people saying, hey, you know. Why don't you have vanilla flavored stevia for the coffee? I don't know because we don't. And and and, uh, but I'll, I'll tell you this: I was standing with uh, with some volunteers at the coffee bar here, and a couple walked in. They were middle aged, and the guy was staggering a little bit, and the wife had that alarmed look on her face, and the man walked up to me and placed a photograph on the coffee bar in front of us. And he said, my son, it was an adult son. Yeah. He was a kid about 25. And he killed himself today, and, I, and he hung himself, and I had to cut him down. This is the father telling me this. And within five seconds, Mary, me, the fellow I was standing with, and the couple, we were all weeping. Yes. W- within five seconds. And one minute before, I'd been talking about, do we have light bulbs for the restroom? Or something equally momentous. You, when you get around recovery, it's the highest stakes, the people at their lowest, the people that come. We're a place where a guy with 50 years old will come running in and go, I got my driver's license. I got my driver's license and get, a, and get applause. They don't, normal people don't understand that. A normal person go, yeah, I've had one of those since I'm 15. What's, right. <laughs> what's right. up? They, they don't know what game we're playing in here. It's different. And it's very deep. Yeah, it's very deep. And, you know, we deal with lives, people's lives. We deal with every situation that really you could imagine and ones that you can't imagine. I think I have we're, our episodes are 30 minutes and we're about there. So I think okay. I have I think I, I'm going to make you sit still for this one. I was in the parking lot of, of a local grocery store trying to get my show on the road. You know how we do that? We're in this is my road and this is my parking lot and that's my parking. I was in that headspace and I saw a white Subaru, how many of those could there be in Santa Fe? A billion, all of them, uh, stopped in front of me. I'm like, please, come on, put it in gear. I got places to be. And then I saw that the driver of this white Subaru had the door open and was standing beside it helping a homeless person and I think feeding their dog dog food. I was like, well, I I feel about an inch tall for being impatient here. And then the driver turned around and it was my boss, Mary. It was you. (laughs) And I went, okay. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull my ball cap low over my <laughs> eyes and put it in reverse and pretend this never happened. You are a talk about walking the walk. I've never seen the like. You inspire me with your selflessness. And uh, thanks for the recording studio. Thank you so much. You know, it's a privilege to try to give back a little of what I've been freely given. So thank you. Love you, Mary. Love you too.